welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. My name is Ted Bendel, and it was my privilege to continue our series of messages on the Gospel according to Mark, today looking at Mark chapter 14, verse 50 through chapter 15, verse 20. Let's get started. Well, I hope we'll be uh, done before lunch. Um, I am not quite sure of the reasoning of my brother Phil when he assigned these passages, but um, we've got a couple of pages of scripture to deal with this morning. So... And I want to thank the the, uh, the worship team. It is so great to be able to worship our God with our brothers and sisters. So, and these songs just they hit me. So, thank you, Father. We turn to you just now. We need for you, Lord, to speak in us and through us, to us. Lord, we look at this scripture and it's an awesome thing that our Lord Jesus has accomplished for us. Father, Help us, give us receptive hearts, willing hearts, ready hearts to go faithfully in the footprints of our Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. In our studies in the Gospel of Mark, we haven't given a great deal of thought to Mark's original readers. Who is the group that he was writing to? And But that's not terribly surprising because they're not directly addressed. And the story is all about Jesus. But as you carefully read through the gospel, it seems that Mark was addressing a persecuted church. Uh, Probably Roman, probably mostly Gentile. Christians were in mind. People who needed encouragement and truth from the life of Jesus. And this passage that we have in front of us today uh, would have served that persecuted and laboring church well, I think. Reading of the rejection of Jesus by the Jewish authorities, of Peter's denial of Jesus, 
of Pilate's somewhat self-serving decision about Jesus would have encouraged and focused Mark's audience as they in turn faced ridicule, persecution, and even death in his name. Let's start at Mark 14 and verse 50. They all left him and fled. Now we're talking about the scene in the garden. Jesus has just been arrested. And the disciples, well, they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they, that is the arresting gang, seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Last week, our brother Mark described the scene as Jesus was arrested. But there were more in the garden that night than just Jesus and the eleven. There was also this mysterious young man. And Mark is the only gospel that mentions him. There's not a, a whisper about this fellow anywhere else in the Bible. And because of that, many scholars believe that this is Mark's way of saying, I was there, and I too ran away. Mark 14 and verse 53. They led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ? the Son of the Blessed. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. Verse 
from the garden, Jesus was taken to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, this trial, this gathering in the house of Caiaphas was not really a trial. This gathering had no legal power to convict. In some ways, it was more like a modern court's discovery in which the prosecutor tries to determine if there is enough evidence to convict. And that's why they were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But as the hours passed, and I think this trial probably took several hours, it turned into an ugly kangaroo court in which the normal legal standards were ignored. This trial, as you will, before the Jewish authorities and the subsequent official trial before the whole Sanhedrin, showed that in their careless disregard of many of their own laws, the degree to which the Jewish leaders hated Jesus. But the quest, the, the quest for testimony against Jesus proved to be more difficult than they expected because, simply, he had done nothing wrong. And even when some false witnesses came forward to claim, we heard him say, I'll destroy the temple and that is made with hands and in three days I'll build another not made with hands. Their testimony under cross-examination did not agree. Now, the temple was central to Judaism. And you only need to read the Old Testament prophets to see how important was the temple. But to these leaders, it represented their reason for being. It represented their authority. And the fact that they um, exercised that authority only by the pleasure of Rome was only thinly, thinly veiled from the general population. Now, according to Mark, the closest that Jesus had said anything about destroying the temple was back in uh, Mark 13 and verse 2, where he said, Do you see these buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. John's Gospel has a more direct quotation on the lips of Jesus in John 2 where the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews at that point said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. But even... If those statements were in view in this illegal court that night, that doesn't fit the testimony. And it doesn't give reason for any charge worthy of death. And especially when the witnesses could not agree 
on what Jesus had said or where he had said it. But through all this, and like I said, I, I suspect that this proceeding took several hours. Jesus was silent. And finally, the high priest gave vent to his frustration and astonishment. And he said, he, he, the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. Now the silence of Jesus before his accusers would have been particularly important for Mark's original readers to understand as they too faced unjust accusations. Jesus is a model for us to emulate. And he shows us what he meant when he told us in Mark 13, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And what with the the silence of Jesus. Caiaphas, I'm sure, felt his power to condemn Jesus slipping from him. They don't have consistent testimony. And finally, he allowed his frustration to trump due legal process. And he asked, and the language demands a response. He asked, are you the Christ the Son of the Blessed. Remember that all through his ministry and up to this point, Jesus has been very discreet about his identity. He wanted his hearers to come to a proper conclusion themselves. Well, and he always taught using scripture to show who he is. But Jesus didn't allow anyone to openly declare that he is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. Remember that he forced demons to be silent because they knew him. He sternly charged a leper he had healed to keep it quiet. He shrouded his teaching with parables. He sent a demoniac that he had delivered, sent him away from Israel, allowing only Gentile areas to know what Jesus had done. He told Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, not to tell anyone that he had raised his 12-year-old daughter back to life. And even after his disciples confessed him as the Christ, he told them to tell no one about him. But now, with this question hanging in the air, Jesus unleashed the full extent of his identity. 
And he starts out with, I am. Now that was the name that God used to identify himself to Moses back in Exodus 3. Jesus went on and he said, You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now in case anyone says to you that Jesus never said that he is God, Take a careful look at these words. The high priest said, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Or, depending on your translation, perhaps the Blessed One. Who's he talking about? God. And Jesus said, You'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of who? Power. So both blessed and power in this context are ways of referring to God. Polite ways. Because you remember even today that a devout Jew will never say God or Yahweh or Jehovah. Those names are simply not found on the lips of a devout Jew. Lest, you know, for, for out of reverence for the Lord God, but also for fear that they might accidentally be found taking his name in vain in contravention of the commandment. So not only did Jesus openly declare that he is the Son of God, that he's God the Son, and the Christ, the Messiah that they were looking for, he applied the words of Psalm 110 and Daniel 7 to himself, to indicate that he is the coming judge of all the earth. Now just think of the irony here. Jesus, the ultimate judge of all flesh, is being judged and condemned by these religious leaders. One day, the tables will be turned. But this was simply too much for these guys who thought they knew the mind of God. To their ears, Jesus had just uttered blasphemy of the most extreme kind. And the only proper penalty for blasphemy was death. But having declared their illegal death sentence, these dignified and cultured religious men, again, think of the irony here, began to spit on Jesus and to beat him up. And then after blindfolding him, they would hit him and ask him to declare who had hit him. 
as a test of his prophetic powers. And I'm sure Jesus said nothing. But think about how Mark's first readers might have responded to this. For them, the gospel was still a new and exciting and raw message. As they traveled from place to place, to Jew and Gentile alike, they rejoiced knowing that they had a singular message that could cure mankind of all its ills. Or as one person said in a podcast I just heard a few days ago, the gospel can cure every kind of stupid. And, you know, they might have initially been shocked to find resistance, sometimes of the vehement variety found in this passage. Though the Jews had the Old Testament promises about Jesus, and though they knew that a son of David would come to deliver them, they were hardened against his message. They simply would not believe. But this, I'm sure, would have helped those early readers to know that it takes God to open people's eyes. The leaders in that room were simply blinded. A veil was over their hearts. They were like Pharaoh, whose heart was so hard, he rode into the suicidal waters of the Red Sea. This religious court simply would not budge from their position. In that room, it was they who were blinded, even though they thought they could see. They were hardened against the Lord Jesus. And the blindfolded Christ could see perfectly into the innermost recesses of their hearts. Now repeatedly, the New Testament speaks of the blindness of humanity. For example, Paul wrote to Corinth that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And Jesus said, no one can come to me unless, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Only the Lord can open the eyes of unbelievers. And that is why we need to be diligent in prayer and to pray together for the salvation of those we love. And while we have an important part to play, Jesus told us to go and make disciples. We have an important part to play in sharing some of the reasons for the hope that is within us. Only our loving God can open their eyes. Only He can draw them. 
Only He can give them a hunger and a thirst for the true righteousness that is in Christ Jesus. Mark 14 and verse 66. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, he looked at him and said, You also are with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man was is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And, Jesus, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. The previous evening after supper, while they were on their way to the garden, Jesus had quoted Zechariah's prophecy that, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But Peter had objected, proclaiming that even if the rest of the disciples were to fall away, he would not. And he said that he would rather die than forsake Jesus. Now, to Peter's credit, he did follow Jesus. He followed him right into the house of the high priest. Talk about a dangerous spot. But later that night, Peter did something shameful, something he never thought himself capable of doing. He came face to face with his own failure and limitations that night. As happens to many of us, sooner or later. What was it that made Peter act that way? There were no doubt many factors and temptations, but at its core, Peter's sin was the result of his fear of also being arrested. His fear of man overshadowed his love for the Lord Jesus. On that night, with danger looming, he felt it was unsafe for him to confess his allegiance to Jesus. So he denied even knowing him. Now, this is a temptation that we frequently face today. We know, even here in North America, that standing with Jesus will earn us the ire of many. And sometimes we fear humiliation that might come with being known as a Christian. 
As a result, some have even gone so far as to try to rewrite or downplay the Bible that Jesus endorsed in an attempt to become more acceptable to the onlooking crowd. But we here in Canada almost never experience the level of persecution that many of our sisters and brothers do in many other parts of the world, like Nigeria. Thousands of our sisters and brothers have died just because they confessed Jesus is Lord. The worst I have ever heard in North America of that kind of thing happening is someone losing their job simply because they would not bow to the requirements of their boss that were contrary to the gospel. That's the worst I've heard. But think of some of our brothers and sisters. But the original readers of Mark's gospel would also have seen in Peter a story of forgiveness and redemption. After all, he was the source material for most of Mark's gospel. He had become a force in the early church. He had boldly preached to crowds. He wrote a couple of letters that are embedded in our New Testament. He died a martyr's death. Remember, now it's tradition, I know, that says that Peter, when he was being going to be crucified, he told his persecutors that he was not worthy to die the way Jesus died. So they crucified him upside down. Many in the church to which Mark originally wrote were struggling through persecution and were being pressured to deny the Lord Jesus. Because of this, the early church would have read in Mark's account an encouragement that God can help us to be faithful and can redeem and forgive us even when we fail. God can help us to live faithfully for Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, even when it is uncomfortable or even dangerous. I'm sorry, we've got five minutes. We've got to catch half of chapter 15. Hold on to your hats. Chapter 15 and verse 1. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests had held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You said so. The chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, 
he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him over to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking him, striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to them. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. In an attempt to make their actions appear legal, the whole Sanhedrin convened just after dawn, and they rubber-stamped the guilty of blasphemy decision of the previous illegal trial. But then they needed to actually carry this out. And at the same time, the authority for execution did not rest with this Jewish court, but with Rome. So they had to come up with a charge that Pilate would actually hear because they knew that he would dismiss a purely religious charge. Now, you get a lot more detail from the other Gospels. Mark doesn't say much about the uh, charges that were levied against Jesus. But we can easily deduce that they accused Jesus of leading an insurrection, or preparing to, and of claiming that he is the rightful king of Israel. All that Mark says is, the chief priests accused them of many things. Um, in answer to the charges, Jesus said no more than he had said the previous night. He didn't try to defend himself because his character spoke for itself, and Pilate knew it. Those charges were obviously false. The only charge that Jesus answered about was about his claim to kingship. And that response was a cryptic, you said so. The political charges were fabricated for Pilate's benefit, and he knew it. But he caught he was caught in a dilemma. If he properly released Jesus, there would undoubtedly be a riot 
that would come to the attention of Caesar. And that would be the end of his career. And Pilate's conscience, even in a society in which human life was cheap, his conscience would not allow him to execute Jesus. But eventually, Pilate was forced to release Barabbas, a known rebel, murderer, and thief. And as one person put it, Barabbas lived the gospel. The innocent died in the place of the guilty. It's unfortunate, but we simply don't know anything more about Barabbas or his subsequent life. We don't know if the gospel made any impact on him. And Pilate was forced by his concern for public opinion to sentence Jesus to crucifixion. But his crucifixion could only happen after he had been scourged. That was a brutal flogging that many people simply didn't survive. There's, it was no small wonder that something like 600 years before, Isaiah had described the appearance of the Messiah as shocking. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance that, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And all this happened just as Jesus had predicted. And this is what the original readers were intended to understand. Jesus said that a friend would betray him. And a friend betrayed him. Jesus said the disciples would desert him. And the disciples deserted him. Jesus said that he would be delivered into the hands of men. And here he was before Pilate. Jesus said he would be condemned by the chief priests, scribes, and elders. And he was. He said that Peter would deny him three times. And he did. He said the Gentiles would put him to death. And they did. All that Jesus said would happen, happened. And all because God is in control of history. Ultimately, every person and every nation will answer to Jesus, the righteous judge. And somehow I think that would have been a comfort for those first century persecuted Christians. And it should be for us today. The question for us is, are we ready? Have you been encouraged? Are you trusting the Lord Jesus to carry you through the tough times when it's hard to stand for Jesus? That we might rejoice all the more in the easier times. 
Father, thank you. Thank you for your gracious provision for our every need. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony of the perseverance of Jesus. How he followed through on his decision of the the night before to honor you and to follow through on the the plan of for our redemption. The plan that gave us the privilege of coming to you, of knowing that you have chosen to pay that infinite price for our forgiveness, for our redemption. Father, we ask that you would help us, help us to be faithful to you above all else, that whatever the price might be for following you, we would be faithfully willing to pay it because of all that you have done for us. And Lord, may the name of Jesus be exalted in each of our lives. To you be the glory and the praise and the honor. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.